looked at it and said, I think, they all said, we think you should deal with this one. Um, I, I'm not so much actually speaking about marriage. I, I'm trying to deal with the text as, it, as, as it's given to us. Okay, because often we use, we use bits of Scripture as a preaching base, but actually I'm trying to use it uh, in the context it's given to us and learn some lessons from it in terms of God's grace and mercy. So what I ask you to do as, as we go through this is bear with me till the end. Okay? Bear with me till the end, and we'll see where I get to. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. It will be on the screen. And uh, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. That's what Jesus did. Every time he had a crowd, he taught them. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them truth. He was teaching them kingdom values. He was teaching them right from wrong. He was teaching them how to live and so on. And the Pharisees came up. And in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked, him, rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. As usual, I have three points. The word of God, what Jesus teaches in our reading, and the application. Just before I start, uh, point one, uh, what's going on here? Jesus is, is teaching the crowd, and the Pharisees are coming along, and they're trying to um, upset Jesus. They're trying to catch him out. They're trying to bring him into a bad light. Uh, they, 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 they say, well, right, we're going to get him on the whole issue of divorce and remarriage. Clearly, it was as much an issue then as it is now. And uh, Jesus meets their challenge head on, as he usually did. And so let's get to my first point. My first point is the Word of God. This is actually uh, a rework of the first point of my preach when I came back from my sabbatical a few weeks ago. Uh, During my sabbatical, during my eight weeks out, I I had this wonderful opportunity of feeding my soul on the Word of God. Uh, And I've come back from that time convinced more than ever of the vital need to study and understand the whole of Scripture. Uh, and what it teaches and why, and uh, that's just something I know is the right thing to do, particularly for me. The Apostle Paul, when writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy three, fourteen to 17, says to him, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, and woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. When Jesus was being tempted uh, by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus counted each temptation with the words, it is written. He was referring again to the scriptures, that, particularly the Old Testament at that point. So in Matthew 4, chapters, uh, verse, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we read, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as a church leader, and as a preacher teacher, the only foundation for me to stand on as I lead and as I teach is the Word of God. There isn't another foundation. Where do we find the Word of God? In the Bible. It's all we have. It is the only basis that I have, that we have, for teaching the church about God, the nature of God, the nature of sin, the issues in the world, all the plans of God and the purposes of God. Where do we go? We find them in the Word. There's nowhere else to find them. If I couldn't believe this book, I couldn't be a church leader. It's very simple. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, we have what we call the Great Commission. And I, I keep making this point increasingly to everyone I meet. Jesus has been crucified and he's risen from the dead and he's now appearing to the disciples. And we read this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love the reality of that. Some doubted. I qualify. Anybody qualify here as being a bit skeptical at times and a bit uncertain? We all do, don't we? We go, oh, really? Are you sure, Lord? Is that you? Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. He turns it right round. Here it is. It's all been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The, the word translated obey there is interesting. A fuller translation of the Greek is, is to observe, to obey, to keep intact what Jesus teaches. We don't mess with it. We don't change it about. We preserve it, we obey it, and we, we learn to live by it. So Jesus is saying that the way to make disciples is obviously see people born again of the Holy Spirit, but also it's very important to show people how to live according to the teaching of the Word of God. The early church, before they were known as Christians, were known as people of the way. These are people of the way. What way? Why were they called the way? There are a number of reasons. I haven't got time to unpack all of this. To be honest, as I start to prepare this, I realize there's mountains of stuff I'd love to put into this when I'm trying to handle it in the context it's given. 
but maybe I'll put it all together one day in some sort of written material. But here's a couple of reasons why the early church were called people of the way. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. To be a Christian was never a case of believing on Jesus and living as you like. That's not believing on Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a person who's been born again, who's spirit-filled, who is seeking to live according to the teaching of Jesus. That's what it means. These are people of the way. This is how we live. We are followers of this man. We obey him. We're born again, and we obey his teaching. We are led by the Spirit. We have the Word, and we live by it and apply it. That's what it means to be people of the way. The Apostle Peter and uh, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2.12, he calls this working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verses 9 to 13, let me read them to you. Uh, it's starts, it's this passage about Jesus taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him, exalted Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We started, didn't we, by saying, at the name, blessed be the name. The name of, blessed be the name. The name of Jesus stands above every other name. The name of God, Yahweh, God, his the, 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 couldn't, his word, the name doesn't actually describe him because he's undescribable. It's basically what the name means. But, but he has come to us as Jesus. We, we know him as Jesus. He's the one we worship. And so the name we worship, we say Jesus is God. We worship this one. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed at, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And so our confidence is in him. And when we come to our prayer meeting, our week of prayer, who are we praying to? We're praying in the name of Jesus to the Father. We're praying. It's the greatest thing. I would encourage you to be part of it in any way you can because actually prayer is the one thing that we're all called to do. Prayer is the, the greatest thing we can do and the one thing that the church does that will transform the world. It might be hidden. It might, you might not get lots of praise. You might not be famous. You might not be a preacher. You might not be on the platform. But prayer, God sees everyone who prays everyone on their knees, whether you, we pray together or whether we pray at home, it doesn't actually matter because God hears every prayer. It matters. We can all pray, and God answers every prayer. We have to believe that. How do I know God answers prayer? Because his name is utterly reliable. He's not a God who says maybe. He's not a God who says if I'm in a good mood. We said blessed is the name. That actually means happy is God. God's eternally happy. He's eternally pleased with himself. Does that sound arrogant? What do you mean he's pleased with himself? I am that I am. That's not arrogant. He knows who he is. I am that I am. He's eternally pleased with himself. And we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's always happy. God is always happy, even when he's angry. How does he do that? Because within himself, he's eternally happy. The circumstances outside of him do not change his inner being. He's eternally the same. 
See, we're not there just to try and keep God happy. He's already happy. But we do want to please him. We do want to live for his glory. He's amazing. He's wonderful. That's where we've been this morning. And so we, we, we want to understand that this, this God, this, this one, this Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. And go back to this Philippians passage. God exalted him, this Jesus, to the highest place. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, here's Paul writing, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, to be born again into the kingdom of God is to be born into a kingdom where obedience to the king is the norm. He's the boss. It's not like I'll I'll negotiate a deal and I'll do it. I'll come in if you let me have my own way. And God says, no, no, it's all through the cross and he's eternally forever in charge. He doesn't negotiate He says, come through the cross. We sang about the blood this morning. Washed clean. Utterly washed clean. I can come, you can come, because of the cross of Jesus, boldly to the throne of grace. We can come right into his presence, not because we've done anything, because we've negotiated a deal, but because at the cross, everything was dealt with once and forever. And now we are clean, and we come, but he's in charge. Does that make sense? That means he's the boss. That's the joy of the Christian life. We, come into, we, we live a life with him in charge. I, I, we, we, we like our own way. We talk about freedom of expression and you know, human rights and all of those things, don't we? We live in an age of, it's my right. I, when you come to Jesus, you, 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 you lay down all your rights. That's the deal. No, all your crowns, all your pride, all your sin, all, everything that you think you bring, you lay it down and you receive him as king of kings, as lord of your life, and as the one who will lead you forever. He's in charge. That's where freedom's found. Oh, the freedom of not having the responsibility to sort everything out. Oh, the freedom of knowing he's in charge. We can sleep nights. It's not a problem. Isn't it good? Aren't you pleased you don't have to worry about the situation in, in, in Russia and, and other places in Middle East? And, aren't you pleased it's not your problem? Politicians are trying to work. What do we, what do, we do? We can sleep nights. He's in charge. Isn't that good? You see, we worry. We say, oh, I, I want to do a deal with God. No, you don't. Because your deals aren't any good. His way is always the best way. His way is the only way for the child of God. And that's what we're dealing with this morning. So the Apostle Paul, uh, in his letters to the Romans, he says this, Romans 1, 5, through him, through Jesus, 
we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, that's us, to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And secondly, the early church were called people of the way because Jesus said of Himself in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We come through Jesus. There's not another way. There's not another way to be right with God. There's not another way. We, we can have all our ideas. We can, well, we will, we'll do it this way. No, no, there's only one way. And his name is Jesus. And it's the way of the cross. It's the way where the perfect one shed his blood for the imperfect ones to be made holy. Isn't it wonderful? I, 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 it's absolutely wonderful. That's the way. Jesus is the way, and we follow him. And so it's very important we get to know and pay attention to his teachings. <clears throat> Teaching of Scripture is the way the followers of Jesus need to live. It's not arduous, it's challenging but it's a joy. It's where blessedness or happiness is found. So why have I taken so long on this point? What's it to do with the passage? Because the Word of God will confront wrong thinking and belief, wrong behavior and attitudes at every turn. What is in this book will confront sin. It will confront man's ideas and behavior in every age and every generation. Jesus is the rock, the foundation that his church stands on, and his word teaches us how to stand. I love this book. Take the book away, and the church has nothing to say of any worth or value. There's a lot of people talking about spirituality these days about spiritual experience these days, which has nothing to do necessarily with Christianity. I'm not despising any of those things. All I'm saying is this. A pursuit of experience is not what the Bible talks about. A pursuit of ooh-ah is not what the Bible talks about. To come into the presence of the living God is awesome. It's incredible. But we have an enemy who can also come as an angel of light and could deceive many. And you go, wow, did you feel that? Wasn't it great? That's not the criteria. The criteria is, is it in the book? And is it for his glory and honor? And does he get the praise? That's the criteria. Please don't mishear me. I want to press right into his presence. But I want to do it knowing that's It's in here, not through some New Age philosophy that's floating around telling me to be spiritual and explore my inner self. There's some very weird stuff floating around today, very strange. And sadly, some people today, even in Christian circles, are so bothered about fitting in with our modern culture, so wanting to be accepted that they're allowing the truth of Scripture to be eroded, even in evangelical circles. And it is a demonic deception. 
Some are telling us that we've moved beyond what the Bible says and that we should adapt. Not so. The Word of God is what we will live by. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Point two. So what's Jesus saying? Clearly, as he says, in, in, he asks them, and they tell him, in the, in the Old Testament, divorce was permissible. All that had to happen was the man wrote a letter and said, I divorce you, and they were divorced. Wow, there's a thought. <laughs> yeah, the problem with that is if you're having a bad day, oh, I'm fed up, I'll just write a letter and say, I divorce you then. That, oh, I've changed my mind. I, I mean, it's, it's wide open to, to misuse. Jesus meets this test. The Pharisees were giving him head on. He wasn't worried about being politically correct or even causing offense. He said, look, Moses tried to lead you and, 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 had, time, and had at times to, to find solutions to practical problems. He basically said, you are a difficult bunch of people to lead. Nothing new there. You were such hard-hearted bunch. You're such a hard-hearted bunch, so quick to break covenant, to misbehave sexually, that Moses set up a system where you're allowed to divorce and, and simply put it away and, and move on. It was pragmatic, and, how it was, and, and it was there for generations. And Jesus doesn't actually jump on that. He just says it was because of your hardness of heart. But then Jesus goes, takes us right back in history, further back than Moses. This is how Jesus deals with it. And he goes right back to creation and God's perfect plan for men and women. And it says, he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, I imagine that was a bombshell for those listening in the crowd. What, what the, 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 Philist the Pharisees had done, they'd pulled back this, this issue of divorce and remarriage in the crowd. Jesus then lumps it and says, well, this is the deal. And many of the people there would be divorced and have different wives and all sorts of stuff. Do you think they might have been offended? Probably. And the Pharisees would be thinking, we've got him now. We've messed up his message now then. Nobody's going to listen to him after this. How wrong. How wrong. God is love. The Bible tells it. God is love. God's not against us. He's for us. Jesus isn't judging. He's not saying, you terrible people. He's saying, you ask the question, let me take you back to the plan. That's what he's doing. He said, look, there's compromise, there's all sorts of stuff, but let me take you back to the plan if you want to know the truth. And he unpacks it. God is love, but to a fallen world, God is also sometimes offensive. Do you know you can, God can be he's loving and perfect and yet offends many? In Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans 9, he quotes the prophet, prophet Isaiah when God says of Jesus in verse 33, uh, it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, 
a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Apostle Peter writes of Jesus in the first, letter to his, uh, first of his letters, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. To a sinful world, Jesus is either a savior or an offense. There's no middle ground. And you might, let me just say this because I, I don't have it in my notes. You might say, but Paul, you're sounding very judgmental. No. No, I, I, it's not my business to judge and it's not our business to judge. But it is God's. And I'm quoting God. And I'm not saying I'm any better than anyone else, and I won't be saying that. What I'm saying is we all have to face the fact in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know what? People don't like being called sinners. Have you, have you noticed? Have you ever tried that? It might not be the best technique for evangelism, I have a friend who I, I won't develop this much further other than I, I say of him, he is the best sinner I know. Does that mean I'm better than him? No, I'm scarily like him. That's the, that's the scary thing. But I, I've known him for years and years and years. He's not a Christian yet. And I think to myself, there but for the grace of God, I'm just the same. I'm just the same. I'm not judging I'm just the same. We're all in the same boat. It's a boat called sin. It means we're a mess. If we want to know what is right and wrong, you find it in the Bible. The Bible tells us that we all need a Savior because we've all sinned. We don't solve the sin problem by pretending that wrong is right. That's the scary thing. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a world that wants to redefine right and wrong according to their feelings, their whim. How do we know the difference between right and wrong? It's in here. But I don't agree with it. It doesn't actually matter whether we agree with it. It's in here. There's only one arbiter. It's God. He's perfect. He's the definer. He's the creator. He's the one who defines right from wrong. Once the disciples were on their own with Jesus, they questioned him more about this, and, and his answer was unambiguous. He said, look, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That's clear then. Wow. You, you, you just think, wow. But Jesus said, no, that's the fact. That's, that's what it is. It's called sin. And just before I go on to my, my last point, where I hopefully will draw this together in a way that's helpful, I must mention the issue of same-sex marriage, which has now become law in our nation. Marriage, as defined by Jesus here and throughout the Bible, is between a man and a woman. 
we see from creation, uh, from our reading, that it's what's called a creation ordinance. It's the foundation for family life for the whole of humanity. No change in government law will ever change God's order of things. And the desperate thing is that there are quite a number, many in fact, Christian registrars who are being forced to resign or being sacked from their jobs in this country because they're refusing to officiate at same-sex marriages. The Bible is clear. Marriages between a man and a woman. So let's get to the application. How do we walk through all this then? We live in a world full of sinful people, full of people who live contrary to the law of God, and apart from God's grace, we're no different. I, I, I was just thinking today, I remember hearing someone say, he said, I've reached the state where I will no longer sin again. Really? <laughs> that is so impressive. I was like, wow, stupid person. Absolutely ridiculous. Even saying it, it was probably sin anyway. Pride of some sort. We're Christian. Most of us in this room. We put our faith in Jesus. We're, we, we love him. But how easily we get enticed away from what Jesus teaches us. We, we, we want to compromise and make our own values. We, we, we try and we want to do things to help us fit in with the culture of today and so we don't cause offense. I mean, we don't like causing offense, do we? I, I, I don't want to be unpopular. It's, I'd rather be popular with my next-door neighbor than be offensive. I'm not there to judge, but equally, I, I, I can't bless. I can't bless things that clearly I, I disagree with. Difficult. And then we find, we listen to the arguments that come our way, and we think, well, these are clever people. Their arguments make sense. It sounds rational. Perhaps we're being a bit harsh. And before long, we get taken away from this to a compromise of human logic that says we know better than God does. Well, we don't. We read how the children of Israel time and time again drifted away from the Lord, and we're told in Judges 17 and in verse 21, uh, chapter 21 that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How easy we drift into that. It goes something like, God loves me. I believe in Jesus. I'm born again. I'm free now. Yes, you are. Totally free to live for his glory. Because that's the Christian life. I wonder how many discussions you've had with people and how many times I've had discussions with people. How many things can you get away with and still be a Christian? Anybody ever had those discussions? Come on, be honest. <laughs> I have. I, I grew up in the Salvation Army that was very legalistic and, and in many ways, and, and I'm not in any way despising it, but I, I moved my theology a bit. It was quite Armenian in its thinking. But I remember, and we were teetotal. We didn't have any alcohol. We didn't drink alcohol. And I, I remember in my teens having this discussion over the, the dining room table uh, one, one Sunday lunchtime was, is it possible to drink alcohol and still go to heaven? What a stupid question. However, 
you understand where we get to. We, we're wanting to say, well, what, what's the line then? Because we like rules, don't we? We like, we, like a, we like a rule. Well, so I can go that near, but not quite, and I'm still all right. The problem is you get that near the line, you know, it says don't stand on the grass. I wonder how close I can get to it without standing on the grass. Because I know what I'm like. I just put my foot out and stand on the grass to say I've done it. Because there's something inherent in, our, in, in this flesh that likes to break rules. There's something inherent in this flesh that likes our own way. We, we want to do it our way, and so we get into bother, even as Christians. Anybody got into bother? As Christians, we all get into bother. We try and be people of the way, but we get things wrong. Text is about marriage, but it's not just that. I believe with all my heart that marriage is for life. I did, I did a preach at a wedding once, and I started by saying, as I, I started by saying, as I prepared this, I, I began to think of the phrase, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> and somebody went, whoa! And I said, I haven't finished. And somebody says, I think you have. And, and <laughs> now, I wasn't talking about the bride or anything. What, what, <laughs> what I was doing was saying this, marriage is for life, not just for a season. That's where I got to. And I believe that with all my heart. Absolutely worth fighting for and all the rest of it. But the sad fact is that sometimes things go wrong. And people are left trying to find their way through a rather messy situation. If ever I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, I always say to them, when you say for better or worse, you've no idea what the worst might be. Take it seriously. You've no idea. And when people are often going through marriage problems, I'll say, well, this might be the worst then. But it could get even worse. And they say, oh, don't tell me that. And the culture of today said, just walk away, it's okay. That's not what the Bible says. Fight for it. However, sometimes it can't, we can't win. Sometimes we can't get through. Sometimes marriages break down. And it's not just about divorce and remarriage, is it? It's all sorts of other temptations that come our way and we get things wrong. It's often through the eyes of hindsight and regret that we learn the hard lessons of what it means to follow Jesus. I, you know, I, when you're young, when, when you're young in your teens, you think it's okay. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm just going to be the one who shows the way. I'm 65 in a, uh, uh, two weeks. I'm a bit wiser now. <laughs> I think, what an idiot. Goodness, I've been an idiot so many times. What an idiot. Haven't we all been idiots? Let's be idiots for Jesus. Let's, let's just be idiots together. Let's, you know, that, that's the nature of the, the real issue of life. We all face the same issues in, in one way or another. Listen to this. Matthew 25, verses 21 and 22. This is other stuff. You've heard that it was said of those who of old, you shall not murder, uh, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Jesus said, if anyone's angry with his brother, will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of, uh, the hell of fire. Ooh, okay. Have you told anybody they're a fool lately? You ever said, oh, what a fool? Verse 27, 28. Um, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We're dead then. Verses 43 and 45. You heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that it may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Oh, God. How do we walk through these things? Well, we have to rely on the grace and mercy of God every day. There's not another way. We ask God for grace. God, help us become as little children before you. That's what he said. You've got to accept the kingdom as a child. It's so complicated. Life's so difficult be a child. I want to receive the kingdom, Father. I want to be your child. And where we've messed up, God, I've messed up again. We ask forgiveness. We find forgiveness. The line is drawn, and we move on. And we can do that every day if we need to. I'm not advocating that. There's, there's, There's much more I could preach into that. But understanding grace is this. Whether it be marriage, whether it be behavior, whether it be attitude, whether it be money issues, whatever it is, none of us are immune in our fallen, in this living in our fleshly body that is not yet redeemed. It's not yet restored. One day, just you wait. But at the moment, we wrestle with our flesh. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the Bible says. And so it's a challenge. And sometimes we trip up. And sometimes we make mistakes. And sometimes things go wrong. And sometimes it's very, very messy. But the love of God is always there. The grace and mercy of God are always there. The cross, the blood was shed once and for all time. And we can come to him and say, God, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the nature of the Christian life. We come to a Savior who is not holding and said, well, I've done it once. I'm not going to forgive you again. He says, no, my grace is forever. My grace, the blood was shed once and forever. And so my my sins of the past, the present, and even the future are dealt with on the cross. And so I can come to him relying on his mercy, relying on his grace, without condemnation, knowing, yeah, I'm a lot wiser. I'm not happy. There's many things that I think, oh God, if I'd only had it over again. But the line is drawn and we move on and we find grace. And often in the most broken, messy circumstances, God brings out grace upon grace and good things come out of it. That's the nature of, 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 of the Christian life. I guess, were you talking about King David last week by any chance? Yeah. At the community group. Oh, King David, okay. Man after God's own heart. I mean, he's the guy, isn't he? He finishes up having sex with Bathsheba because he didn't go to war. He sat on his roof and voyeurism for a while. And then, oh, and then he, he has sex with her and she gets pregnant. So he, he, he then sends her husband 
off to the front of the battle, so her husband's killed, and, and the child's born and, and is, is, is going to die, and he, he's pleading before God, and the child eventually dies. And it was, it was the judgment of God, and, and his comment was, his first response when the child got was, he bowed in worship. He was a man after God's own heart who messed it terribly, messed it up really badly. But you know what? From that, from Bathsheba came Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. God works in grace, works in the mess of life. We need to understand we're not here to judge the world. That's God's business. We're here to bring a message of saying sin can be dealt with. Sin, the price is paid for. You can walk free. You can walk clean. Now, there's another whole chunk of this message about learning to live free of sin, which I just don't have time to unpack. It's not just we keep saying sorry. How many times will God forgive you? Do you ever come to God and say, God, I've sinned again? You know what he says? When was the last time? He doesn't keep records. He doesn't keep records. He's not holding it against you. It's not like, well, there's a tipping point, and once you've sinned once too many times, that's you lost. No, it's not like that. The grace of God is constant and forever, but there is a way to live as Christian men and women, free from always falling over. There is a way to live, to stand upright and true. There is a way to live, to have Christian marriages, first, second, or third marriage, where you learn to do it right, and you learn for it to be something that shines for the glory of God. There is a way to live. And so, being taught by the Spirit, we learn to stand as Christian men and women, relying on the grace and mercy of God, not judging the world, but showing the world a better way. We're all a mess, apart from Jesus. This side of eternity, we will all struggle living in bodies that are yet to be made new. That struggle expresses itself in many different ways, but one thing I'm sure of, I would be lost without Jesus walking with me every day, and so would you. We put our confidence in His goodness and in His mercy and the inner working of His Spirit in our lives as we're being more and more made into His image. He is the only perfect one but the great news is that those who have put our trust in him and been born again, the Bible says we are hidden in him. So when the Father looks at us, he sees us clean and holy and righteous, even when we've messed up. Isn't that amazing? This isn't to be, and Jesus didn't, didn't share that in a way to condemn but neither would he compromise on truth. What he did is reveal the way. He said, this is, this is the standard, this is the way. But I will die so that you can live and you can have life and you can walk through it. Isn't it a good gospel? Isn't it a great gospel? Now hear me, I will fight for marriage. I will fight for it. But I don't condemn when it goes wrong. I don't point the finger. We find our way through. We rely on his grace and on his mercy. We say, God, help us move on from here. We don't want to live with a past holding us back. We say, no, we move on. We fall over, we get up, we trust his grace and mercy. We say, no, 
I'm a child of God. I move on from here. Help me do it right now. That's the Christian life. Are we up for that? Do we enjoy that? Let's stand, shall we? Bobby would come back, please. I just want to pray for us. Just, I just felt before I, I started, I, I, I felt there's a number of people here carrying stuff. I, I felt there's a number of people here carrying things where 